my biggest success story, my biggest thrill is showing horses for people that never have a big win and having that success for them because I never take any win for granted. And when I have that success for those people, I so appreciate it. And they so appreciate it. This year, I won three world champions at the Pinto for Heidi Dijon on her big stud. And I'm telling you, you come out of the arena and they're crying. There is nothing more fulfilling than that. That's why I do what I do. on the rail at a jog please on the rail at a jog hello everyone we're back with another episode of on the rail podcast this episode's going to be pretty interesting i think we have some lovely people from the industry and a little bit different various roles that they play and we're super excited to introduce them so without further ado either one of you can go first but just kind of tell us a little bit about your journey within the industry and what you're currently doing. Hello, guys. I am Brian Isbell Garcia now. I've been in the industry. Oh, I grew up showing horses as a youth kid and then started when I was 19 years old. I've had quite a bit of success in all of the stock breed associations, both in the Western and with me today is my husband, Kevin, and this November, we'll be together 33 years. We got married seven wow. years ago on our 25th anniversary. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. That's amazing. Congratulations early yes. for that. That's crazy. It's a lot of time in today's day and age for anybody. And Kevin, what about you? Brief introduction. This world, right? <laughs> Hi, I'm Kevin Garcia, the owner of Kevin Garcia Originals. It's a show clothing brand. I've been in doing business for about 20 years, but I've been supporting Brian in his business for... Since the beginning. Yes, since the beginning, the early, early 90s. But we kind of decided to take the clothing piece in-house, where I... Since we were already part of the client's marketing program, we worked with designers. So we pretty much ran that. So I just taught myself how to do it and surrounded myself with those people. And now we have a thriving business. Seven full-time employees. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yes. We have five full-time designers, admin. It's the whole shebang now. And then Joseph does all of the marketing yes. and the online have, sales uh, and have, pictures. Right. Joseph is the marketing and social media manager. He handles all contact with clients pretty much at the onset. And then uh, it moves into the design phase. How long have you been in business then, Kevin? Oh, I've been in business for at least for 20 years. But the last seven have been, I finally moved it out of the house. (laughs) (laughs) And so we have a great workspace here in Atlanta, Georgia, right in town. And it's been building and actually, we're pretty excited. We're about to close on the building that we've been renting for the last seven years. Wow. So 
we're going uh, all the way with this here. That's impressive. Yeah, anytime you're able to buy a building, especially downtown in a major city. But Kevin, do you stay strictly in show clothes attire or do you branch out into anything else? Actually, we've dabbled in a lot of different things here. Being in Atlanta, you know, we have the movie industry is really strong here. The music industry is also strong here. I always kind of knew, though, that the horse show people were my people. I've been in the business. I showed horses, you know, alongside Brian, supported him all these years. So I really feel like the horse show industry is my bread and butter. I know a lot of the top people in the industry. But you may have heard that we are dabbling with uh, dressing some country music stars, which I always want to stay away from the show business, just <laughs> because it's notoriously hard to deal with all the different layers of management. And, you know, I really just want to make sure I get paid. <laughs> a, lo- a, lot, a lot of the industry on that side, whether it be the movies or the music. performing artists, yeah. Their management team usually wants you to sponsor them and give them stuff for free. But when Tanya Tucker's team reached out to us, we did the first initial dressing for when she's inducted to the Hall of Fame. And that's when we canceled our first or we postponed our first podcast with you girls. Totally worth it. And then after that weekend. We had no idea what we were getting into. Honestly, we were invited. I sent Tanya, two outfits, which we were not going to let go of them until we got paid, which they did. And it was great. They sent a driver, took the clothes. Little did I know the next day I would be invited to the announcement of our induction, which was, by the way, a, a secret. Nobody knew, not even her family. And we were there alongside her children and I got to sit right next to Nancy Jones, George Jones's widow, which yeah. was absolutely amazing. We were so out of place, but it was, it, it was, <laughs> we were no, we weren't. family right <laughs> away. We did. Everyone thought Brian was Tanya's manager. <laughs> so important. <laughs> Tanya loved the clothes. They were a perfect fit right off the rack. And after that, I got a call like a week later and her manager is like, okay, she wants you. What, what do we have to do to get you? Aww, <laughs> so, yeah, that's you know, awesome. Started there. Yeah. It's really fun. She's great to work with. Love her to death. So easy to be around and just lovely. And that's where Joseph plays a significant role in our business. He can take the relationship connection part out of it and be just the business manager. And he was like, look, we don't give anything away for free. We'll make you a deal because we would love to work with you guys. But the horse He's show industry business. is our bread and butter. So we would love yeah. to work with you, but we don't have to. And, and that's the last thing I wanted to do was jeopardize my nine to five everyday business to get caught up by, you know, a little the, bit of fame. A little bit of fame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although it has been fun and She's worn our clothes in a number of TV appearances. We did this uh, CMT awards. We've done two her two CMT specials. special. But the thing about Tanya is we're like family to her now. Oh yeah, right. I mean, we're planning she, a vacation. <laughs> yeah, we're all going on vacation together. <laughs> Mexico or somewhere else? Yeah, I know yeah, we're, going to we're, go, we're going to Kevin's family's place in San Miguel. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I know you guys are Mexico experts, so. (laughs) Yeah, we we just got back from Cabo. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So what's that like 
on that end then. So you always are outfitting horse show enthusiasts. So what was it like for your work to be basically on like a red carpet? Oh, well, first of all, it was, well, it was so exciting for a number of reasons, but the most exciting thing was there aren't the same rules as we have to follow. So I got to do some exciting things that were a little more edgy and fun. Mm. Yeah. But working with Tanya, she's such a good, like in between, like she is a cowgirl. So it's very authentic to put her in our Western inspired with the rhinestones. She loves all of that stuff. Yeah. So it, it was really fun. And I got to kind of play with, for my inspirations, which come from fashion that we try to, you know, take into the horse show arena, but now I could do it with, you know, using different types of fabrics and different kinds of embellishments and different kinds of cuts, like a little more of a sex appeal thing that we're able to do, which is not, not horse show. show Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of that back in the days, about 20 years ago, he made a shirt for Vicky Holt and it had a keyhole design, but it was cut very low in the chest. And she wore one go with the Congress and someone made a big steam. Someone complained that it was and it was time. not allowed to she was not allowed to wear it again. So now it's hanging back in our office as kind of in our yeah. KGO shrine. Yeah, I started buying back old outfits from 20 years ago that were really my start, which are totally different than what we do now. But it was, I mean, it's really cool. They were way more fashion oriented. And now we have, you know, we definitely have a look that I call the horse show look. But, you know, I try to make it not so costumey and and look a little bit more, like I like delicate and pretty things. And I love Western inspired things. Even our home is, I call it modern Western. So it it has a, a nice mix. Do you have any idea how Tanya Tucker ended up reaching out to you or what that process was like for her initially? Actually, yes, it's a funny story. Her very good friend was out shopping in a jewelry store in Nashville called Vincent Peach. And the shop clerk used to be married to a horse trainer. From Cookville, Tennessee. Yes, and she said, you know, you need to meet Kevin Garcia. I didn't know who this woman was, but that's how she found out about me. And her friend literally looked me up online. My number must have been there. It it was on, uh, it's on your. um... Yeah, it's on my website. She called, which I never answered the phone. It was a Saturday. I never answered the phone if I don't know who it is. Well, her name came up. So I thought that I must know her if she's in my contacts. Turns out it was. Tanya's best friend, who is also who also does her styling and and stuff, and that's how they met me. And they invited us out the next day, and we met in the lobby of of the Lowe's Hotel. And the next thing I know, we're you know in her suite while she's getting her hair done, and we're styling her look for the Hall of Fame Museum. Yeah, wow, yeah, it's crazy. crazy. Since then, we have been to Nashville to thank. Tori George, her husband actually owns the jewelry store or they're owners of the jewelry Uh store. And we've been there. I have my picture made with her, thanked her, took her bottle of champagne. (laughs) So that that was fun. Yeah, that's a great story and a good reason to highlight on it because I think this interview for us with Brian and Kevin has been months and months in the the workings now. And (laughs) it's either 
Brian had an animal issue. I had an animal issue. Kevin had to dress somebody for a Hall <laughs> of Fame event. You know, like there's yeah. just been like all these things come up, which are, are totally I, valid. I, I, it's been great, but I forgot about yeah. Homeboy. He had that eye issue. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> that was the first interview. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I was like, I don't even know how many times it's been now, but here we are finally. So it's great. Yes. So while we're on the topic of Kevin for the moment, can you kind of like take us? Way back in the day, what'd you say? 20 years now that you've been in business. Can you explain how you came up with Kevin Garcia Originals? Or was it something else then? And it, you know, kind of walk us through the last 20 years. So my background is interiors. I graduated from the University of Tennessee, but I ended up changing my major and I have a degree in retail consumer science. Thought it was going to be a clothing buyer to start. But really, I just want to go the horse show. So <laughs> Brian and I, at first I just supported him. And then I decided, okay, you know what? Why don't I figure out how to do the clothes full time? And basically, how did that come up? So we just, were actually in Harleysburg, Pennsylvania at the big run up there that used to be huge yeah. in June. And Nancy Renfro hauled with me at the time. Yeah. And she went over and she was going to design a vest with one of the designers. And Kevin goes, I think I could do that. Yeah. She, so anyway, he talked Nancy into letting her try. I, I totally and that's the way yeah. it all started. I'm, and then wow. Vicky Holt was his next customer. And then some of our people in our barn. And that's the way it's progressed. Yeah, I'm completely self-taught, but I surrounded myself with people who really knew what they were doing. And then I had to take what they could teach me and make it relate to what we needed for the horse show arena. Back then, basically, we just did, we were just starting rhinestones. I mean, this was even pre-rhinestone. You know, I have a little bit of cutout work, a little detail. We used to do painting. You know, we used to paint on the outfits. And then, you know. As the industry progressed, obviously, I had to teach myself more and more and more. I, I'm still learning day to day, but now I just get to learn with people who know a lot. So that's great. So when you got started, as far as like time period, was this like slinky and vest type oh, era God. or where where we at? I assume it was past the tuxedo shirts. It was like cotton calico <laughs> vests. Like I remember yes. putting the rhinestones on the first, it was like a brocade vest because it already had a little bit of shine. I remember putting like the handset literally with the bedazzler, like the one at a time on there. I think I put like 60 stones on it and I thought, oh my gosh, I hope this doesn't take off because this is a pain. <laughs> like, well, you still do it one at a time, but it's well, yeah. And and now you know there's fifteen thousand pieces on an outfit. Like it's yeah, whole, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's turned into something so different. But gosh, you know what? We we also people just had clothes and we embellished what they already had, yes. right? Somebody would bring us a suit and we put some sparkles on it. Like it was not even anything like it is now but then i had a line of vests that my very good friend and design mentor hand painted and we really rhinestone that was the first thing we rhinestoned really heavy and they were incredible and i'm I'm on the hunt if anybody has any of those i mean there's 
a lot of them out there. I'm on the hunt for them because they're works of art, like literally, at least as far as I as far as I can remember, I didn't get to keep any of them, but I would love to have that stuff now. I think I could bring it back in a new way that would yes, really you can always bring back something in right. a new way. So right now, like the very popular thing is the hidden zipper shirt, right? It's like the faux buttons. That is actually a pattern that I used to make way back in the beginning it's the same thing and everyone it's like everyone thinks it's this new thing no we were already so i will have to brag on him and joseph about four years ago they rebranded it to the retro shirt yes and kevin really was the first one to bring the shirt with a little bit of bling the shine back into that world and now everyone's wearing it all the top designers what what i was pushing was I wanted simplicity in the sense that not everybody needs to look exactly the same. So, I mean, this simplicity could go a long way. It could be elegant. It could suit your personality in a different way. Use color, use fit. There's a lot of ways to to show your personality. If everybody's just like full on sparkle, it's like nobody's original. Nothing stands out. It's everyone looks identical. So I really tried to rebrand this simplicity look and basically was just like pull out an old pattern. We called it the retro shirt because we went back to a bigger collar. We realized that big collar wasn't for everyone. So we shortened them accordingly, you know, depending on what the customer is showing in. Right. What suits the customer. But that's, I think, where we are at the moment. And that's really what made the business boom in the past seven years. Oh, my gosh. It was... Yeah, because we even stopped going to the Congress and doing those things with the showroom because it was just, there's a lot of competition and it was all the same thing. So I'm like, how do we fit in? And we really worked. And I think 2020 was great for us because we were able to have some time to really think about what we wanted to put out there. And I mean, it has skyrocketed. Yeah. So now we're having the issue of, okay, I need to learn how to scale uh, for this. For <laughs> it's this. a good problem to have, but it's yeah, a problem. It's what, a you, real, you're it's a a real problem. It's, it, yeah, it's a real, it is a problem because we want everything to be good. And I want to make sure everybody gets the time, you know, because the outfits are expensive and they're expensive because I have a big operation now. The quality. And the quality, we only use the best of everything. That that was a no-brainer for me. That was another reason why I wanted to do the simplicity because we could just use the best and keep it, you know, at a moderate price point. But prices have gone up, crystals, all of that stuff, everything has gone sky high, actually. And then I don't know, I can't even say the word, but the number one crystal brand in the world, who I'm not allowed to say their name because I signed a paper. Uh, <laughs> we're not even allowed to use their name in our marketing anymore, but we still can get the product. But a lot of people cannot. It's not sold to the public anymore. Mm, interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very... Most people you would never know. Brand. I'm like, it's crazy the things we go through. Even zippers. Just There was this, a time where for six months, we could not buy a zipper. During COVID, you yeah. could not get a zipper. You could not get a zipper. <laughs> because we need to have zippers that match the colors. And you would think like a major zipper brand and they have no zippers. 
it's just it's crazy. Was it a shipping issue or was it actually I think product, it's or both a supply chain which became a shipping issue, mm-hmm. same shoulder pads. I mean, there's so many things people don't realize. Yes. Like, why is this taking so long? Well, yeah. And also, they're not the only person I'm sourcing for. Like, we have a hundred clients in the queue at any given time. On top of our off the rack clothing that we never stop doing, and everything is, you know, handmade, obviously, in the USA. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a great business, but it's a lot harder than it seems. Oh, and horse people. We all know horse people. We're all a little crazy. So just trying to keep up with the opinions and trends and whatever of all of us crazy horse people is a lot. (laughs) I totally get that though. Cause you know, the stuff it's expensive and it used to be only certain people could afford the clothes. Now everybody has at least one outfit. And I've had the greatest, there are kids that save their babysitting money. I have a little, a girl that paid me in $5 bills. <laughs> I mean, I really care about those people. And I want to make sure that they have a product that they can be proud of. And it may be the only one they have. It's such a crazy business because we have such a, a wide range of people. Some people can buy something every time they see me. You know, I love them too. But really, it's the little people. It's the people that saved up their money to get one outfit or an outfit for their daughter chances are they're going to come back to us because you know we treated them like they were the one that could buy every time and with your marketing we are now in so many other arenas other oh, than gosh. the stock horse i mean the tennessee mm-hmm. walkers the arabians they are getting huge <clears throat> in the rainy market i'm leaving tomorrow yep. to go down with the showroom to Ocala to that big sweepstakes down there and take in the showroom Yeah, the Raiders, all of a sudden, we just, they went nuts for that. And some of the breeds, I don't know anything about, and I can't pretend to, but they have Western divisions, I guess. And I just want to give them something pretty that fits well. I mean, the (laughs) walking horse industry is crazy over his product. Even the dressage, we did some shirts for dressage. Really? Yeah. They did a whole special. It was a, it on was the a can- international televised women's event. cancer event, yeah. the National Cancer Month, and they he did all these white shirts with big uh, pink bows. Were they pink they with white bows? Yeah, but anyway, with the big pink rhinestone bow on them, the cancer bow, and it was pretty special. Yeah, we get stuff like that every day now, pretty much. It's just managing it all. Have you ever thought about going into the world of hunt coats or? sticking with the western stuff well we pretty much stick to the western thing that's what i know about and so that's what i like to say you know we'll we'll do men's western stuff brian we really just don't want to compete yeah um, we don't want to compete with spike and megan with booyah i mean they do a great product and and we're in the same showroom and we're great friends so and there's no need i have plenty of work <laughs> that, Very is, fair. Not a, that is not an issue so before we move over to brian's catch writing and stuff i just personally am curious if you have any wishes or do you have a desire for anything from the past to come back trending or anything now that you wish would kind of go away is there anything that like bothers you about our trends right now 
I'm going to say this, but uh, <laughs> I do not like fringe. People love fringe, though. <laughs> and personally, I do not like fringe. I mean, I like it on Tina Turner. <laughs> I like it on, you know, on stage. On stage, uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not a, and even just like somebody wants fringe to wear in the trail or what I get it. I, I just, I don't know. It's just, I can't. I can't because I was raised by Brian in the sense that no movement, no movement, no movement. There's some things in the horse industry, right, that are traditional that need to stay traditional, in my opinion. And I think a lot of trainers will agree with that. I agree with that. And then also the fringe, the amount of work that it takes to do fringe, people don't realize and so, therefore, it's more costly. But it will take Kevin I just five or six hours good. to do fringe for a shoulder on a vest. And it just doesn't read well in the show arena, in my opinion, either. Yeah, it's great for a picture, though. Right. <laughs> right. Great for a picture. It's more costumey. So It I is mean. more costumey. And it's a little bit, I don't know. Yeah, it's a little bit hokey to me. And I don't know. It's just not my thing. But I do it every day. Because in the end, I got to make people happy if that's what they want. Yeah. You know, that would be the trend that we you would. Yeah, that, that. Yeah, for sure. You're right, though. I mean, it does look cool in pictures and maybe not it in real does. life. Moving has quite the same effect. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The trend I would like to see go away that's trying to make a comeback in the hunt world. Or it's not even a comeback, but it's trying to break through are these bright, hunk coats and purple hunk coats and pink hunk coats there's not a place for those in our arena in my opinion yeah and that's nothing that booyah has that i've seen but there are a couple designers that are putting those out there and i just don't everybody wants to get seen but you don't want to get seen for the wrong reason (laughs) you know i don't know i just i don't put that now bright colors in the western i'm all about absolutely you know It's funny you guys mentioned that because I think it just in the last week or so I've read a few comments slash threads or on Facebook discussions about like a lavender hunt coat type thing. And to be fair, I haven't been to many shows this year, so I haven't seen it in person, but I can't. I like like what does a lavender hunt coat even look like and why are we doing this? And there's some burgundy ones that are out there and and I saw Quite a few of those at the paint and Pinto world. And it's like, oh, it just doesn't read well. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that different is always better. Right. Let your talent show through. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you want to be edgy and you want to make a statement, but it's still got to be within the guidelines of what we do. And it's still got to be traditional. Yeah, it was like, especially with the hunt seed stuff, it's very traditional. Exactly. Now I'm all about pushing the boundaries for men in the Western. I do that all the time with the shirts that we make. But Uh, it's not really pushing the boundaries. It's just having some style. Right. Like you're not afraid to show your style, but I don't think it's. You know, it's not pushing the boundaries. It's just having style and not just the basic blue, black, and red. I was like, I'm thinking like mist. Not mismatched, but contrasting colors like collar and cuffs. Have I seen you in that, Brian? In you the have. Western, okay. you, you definitely have. And 
I try to do things down the placket and a little design on the collar, trim on mm-hmm. the collar. There's and, not that much you, to do. So right. You could, you know, the little you do is good, but you do wear colors other people would not wear. I will. <laughs> <laughs> that I will. And but it suits you, so it's that's perfect. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Makes you stand out. <laughs> right. All right. Well, uh, another kind of portion of this whole conversation we wanted to have was to touch on Brian's insane capability to be kind of a professional catch writer, if we will. That's the way I got to know Brian and was fortunate enough to do that. And in my opinion, just I have two or three individuals in my mind in the industry that I feel like can dang near catch ride anything that they get on. And Brian definitely falls into that category. So (laughs) how did this type of job evolve for you over the years? So I'm sure you didn't set out to be when you were a a youth kid to be a professional catch rider. I mean, I was very fortunate to have a lot of success when I had a full-time training barn as I mentioned earlier in both the hunt seat and the Western. And then I took a little sabbatical from showing to focus on our family and focus on building Kevin's business. And then I went back to work for a family here in Atlanta and we just had Western horses. So when we would go to the horse shows, people would ask me to show their hunt seat horses. And that's kind of when it got the ball rolling. And then I didn't renew my contract with them in 2018. And then I decided that I wanted to make a go of it to where I still could show horses and I could show great quality horses, but I didn't have to do the full-time training. And I didn't know if it would work. I didn't know if there would be the business there for me. And Kevin kept pushing me to do it. And it's been great. I've been very fortunate to ride for great trainers and great customers. And now I've gotten to the point where I pretty much show for the same people at the big shows kind of year after year. There always is that random person will call and say, hey, we're not sure if you would do it or not, but we would like for you to, do, to show our horse. And I always put a stipulation in there. They send me videos, this or that. And I would say, I would love to if it all works. Because not every horse works for every rider, just like not every horse works for every training barn. My biggest success story, my biggest thrill is showing horses for people that never have a big win and having that success for them. Because I never take any win for granted. And when I have that success for those people, I so appreciate it. And they so appreciate it. This year, I won three world champions at the Pinto for Heidi DeJong on her big stud. And I'm telling you, you come out of the arena and they're crying. There is nothing more fulfilling than that. That's why I do what I do. I mean, that's probably the glamorous side of, I guess, of being a catch writer is when you get to do that with people. But there is an art form to it for sure. And that's why most even great trainers can't or won't or aren't as successful about it. So why do you suppose you're very talented in this. And this is my, you know, like I will say, this is my personal opinion. I've watched you ride countless horses out in the practice pens and whatever. And I'm like, you just have a talent for being able to jump on most things. I do think that everybody is giving one God-given talent, right? Mm -hmm. And I do have 
that where I get on a horse and I fill it out and I can kind of make it adapt to my way or I adapt to their way. And I think that is the biggest key to success is I get on and I'll ride two or three days and I try to really ride it like I would train it. And then two days out before showing it, I say, okay, what works for you of the pieces I'm trying to put on you? What pieces do you bring to me? And let's dance together and make it work. And and let me say, I call it the circle. I've seen Brian go in a circle for many (laughs) years, countless times (laughs) I've I've seen the circle. Brian's a great showman. He can go out there and show what he has that day and make it look like it's the best that it ever has been, whether it is or not. He's the one who knows where it's at. And I mean, really a lot of trainers want to keep improving even in the pen and they're not necessarily, you can accept it. And that was my key to success my whole career is you show what you have that day and you show it to the best of your ability. And every time you go in that arena, you go in with the attitude that you are the winner, right? Right. You don't ride defensively. You ride like you were going to win. Interesting concept. I like it. Mm -hmm. I love that about Brian. Whenever you watch him show, I mean, regardless of what horse he's on, he looks as confident as like, he knows he's going to go out and crush it. So that's, Again, that's why it makes him great because he yeah. gets on any horse with any caliber of legs. And I mean, most of the time you're on very, very, very nice horses. Don't get me wrong, but you always sell them like they're the best horse in the class. And that's an art form in itself. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And I thoroughly enjoy that. But a little funny story to that is, uh, I don't know whether it's it. 2008, 2009, I went to the Appaloosa World and I was catch riding for one barn in particular. And they were like, okay, the three-year-old, it's definitely our third string, but we definitely need you to show it. But the rest of you are showing for us are great. So literally I rode that horse for hours, days before I showed it. And I went in and I won the three-year-old class with that horse. And then I went on to win every single hunt seat class at the Appaloosa World that year. So I won the the three-year-old, I won the two-year-old, I won the junior, the senior, and I won the fraternity, and then I won the two-year-old Western. That that was one of the neatest moments of my life, is being able to say I won all of the Huntsy classes at one world show. Mm -hmm. And I won it on a third-string horse. (laughs) Allegedly, yeah, yeah. Right, allegedly. Allegedly. Right, Right. that's what they thought. That's what they thought, right. (laughs) Yeah, which is fair. Everybody has opinions. I have something I want to talk about. So I'd never been on a horse before I met Brian. And you may have known, he convinced me to start showing. I had a three-year-old. I won the Novice Amateur Pleasure at the Congress in 1996. I just started riding that April, and I won the Congress in October. And he's like, how did you do that? I said, I just do what you do. Like, I literally was just emulating him. It's like, I it was like, if it was like an acting class or something. Make it till you I'm make like, it, right? There like, I feel like the way you look and that's what I did. And it just kept working. I don't, I don't. That's know. in 1996, the novice amateur pleasure. That was before it was split and select and regular. Yeah. Uh, it had 14 cuts. 235 entries. It took four and a half hours to run that class. 
And I was not nervous at all because I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know. How. So he showed a three-year-old and all year long, he showed in a hackamore. We get to the Congress and I'm like, honey, if you're going to get a prize, you're going to need to show in a bridal. So he showed one hand and the first cut, he had what a so much was. drape. I'm like, Cooper, his horse was going <laughs> to jump through the, it was like a jump rope. I'm like, you've got to shorten up a little bit, but he never touched him. He kept his hand. He was a really great, great loper. <laughs> and it was a very comfortable ride. And I, you know, I just pitched it out there and went. Yeah. Literally. That was probably the highlight of my whole show career. More Aww. so than any trophy or buckle I've ever won was seeing him win and now seeing Lola Grace win. It yeah. just, it's but also with not, you know, a lot of people go in with thinking they can win. I just wanted to go around and not make a mistake, <laughs> you know, just get around <laughs> safely. So when they got to the play scenes, I almost like, I wasn't even sure it was happening. I was so confused. That's the best, though. <laughs> like, that's... It really was. It really was. Yeah. Never forget those feelings. Yeah. yeah. And then I retired shortly after. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you showed for the next three years, and he was always in the top ten at the Congress. I did, but I didn't need to do that anymore. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brian, what's kind of your process for preparing to show a new horse? I know you catch ride several horses repeatedly at, at major shows, but if you've got a new one going on, how do you prepare? So I ride them a lot. And that's one thing that when someone reaches out to me about showing their horse, I have to have the ability and the okay to ride it as much as I feel I need to. So I will probably ride two or three times a day at the world shows. I ride in the middle of the night numerous times some trainers want to be there with me i'm like that's fine but it's got to be on my schedule other ones will leave me the combo to their attack room and i come and go as i please but i do ride a lot and then another thing that i do and that i've had the success both when i train full-time and with catch riding is like i stated before a day or two out i start riding to show i leave all my training behind and start riding to show and try to use the buttons that I have put on or the trainer has put on and try to be the good guy on the horse's back, right? And get him to trust me, her to trust me. And that's the way we become that dance partnership that I like to have when I go into the show arena. Before we move off of you catch riding specifically, but you are also, as I touched on earlier, a master showman in the in the pen. So do you have any tips for listeners maybe on making those split second decisions in the pen to get you the best spot or maneuvering horses, handling traffic, anything in that regard? Well, I'm always very aware of the traffic. And so I always use my corners, whether I go deep or whether I go short to make sure that I had the best spot on the rail or in the arena. I think too many people get stuck on, and especially in the hunt seat, on riding that inside path. And then you get so close to the judge's eye that they can't even see your horse's legs. So that would be my biggest takeaway to anyone listening about that is be aware of your arena and know where the other horses are. It's kind of like driving a race car, but we're not racing where you can always find your spot. Mm -hmm. Split decisions, sometimes 
they will bite you in the butt, but you have to do it. You're always riding to win. And when you're riding to win, sometimes you're the bug and sometimes you're the windshield. But hopefully you're always going to be the windshield. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> and, and if you don't ride to win, you're going to be third or fourth. Yeah, that's true. Got to go big or go home. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So to kind of combine both of you guys' interests and passions, Brian, what's your favorite aspects of catch writing? And Kevin, what's your favorite aspects of your clothing design? Well, I think that I relayed that earlier. It goes back to making those customers' dreams come true, right? That is the biggest joy to me is when I see those people that haven't gotten that big prize or even the people like for Megan and Debbie East, like every time I've shown, I'll bet you two-faced, he has been in the buckles or been in the trophies and they are still as excited and pleased with the reserve champion now seven times world of reserve champion seven times as they were the first time I won. Mm -hmm. And that is what it's all about to me. It's making those customers happy and seeing their dreams come true. Yes. Every time I see Megan post a result from Henry at the world show or whatever, I'm always like, I am obsessed with him. He's one of my all-time favorites out there <laughs> yeah. right now. Absolutely. And he is the closest thing to his father that I've ever thrown a leg over. Which we didn't touch on that briefly. <laughs> and I know we got to wrap up here in a, in a little bit, but Brian, what was your experience with Allocate back in the day, many, many moons ago? Yeah. So we were on our way back from the sun country and Randy Leeper said, I've got the best hunt seat horse. I've got the best hunt seat horse. But Randy was a Western guy, right? But we laid over in pilot point. I was like, Kevin, we've got to go look at this horse anyway, right? So literally, Al looked three strides and I grabbed Kevin's arm and I go, shh, because I was like, surely Randy doesn't know what he has. And he priced him at one thing. And it took me literally three weeks to find somebody to go into partnership with him. But we bought him. And then as a two-year-old, I took him to all the horse shows and at the Texas Classic, Deanna, Sarah says, we want to ride that horse. I'm like, he's not for sale. She's like, can we just ride him? So long story short, three weeks later, we came to an agreement to where Kathy Tobin would buy him, but I would get to keep him to the Congress. And I tell you, he was and still is my once in a lifetime horse. He had such a great personality. He would be laying down in his stalls with Orshaw going and sit down in the stall. He put his head in my lap like a dog. He is a great horse. I went to see him in Arizona two years ago. I walked in the barn. I said, hey, Al. And he nickered. And oh. I'm going to tell you right now, I have chill bumps just thinking about it. He was my horse. Yeah. yeah. Legendary. Generational yeah. stud. Yes. So yes. very cool. And it's like, and like you said, Henry, or I'll bet your two-faced reminds me of him a lot. And I think he does to you too. And I'm always, yeah. I was like, I'm obsessed with Megan's horse. I have been for years. <laughs> yeah. And if you ever get to sit on him, I'm telling you, 
my saying is he will make your butt smile. That's what I'm saying. I know. I watch him. I've watched you lope him circles out in the practice pens at the paint world, and I still drool for like 30 minutes at a time. So. He's super cool. He is a fun one. He he's a trickster, and he you have to get him prepared. But he is fun. Yeah. So kind of combining your two stuff, but if we talk about writer wear or show clothes and performance in the show pen, how do you guys feel that affects your performance in the show pen as an exhibitor? Well, for me as a designer, I think your outfit should suit you. Okay, I don't think that the fancier outfit gets any extra points than, I, I mean, you're there to show your horse. I think the fancier outfit can actually distract from showing your horse, to tell you the truth. But I don't think it should affect you. I think as long as you follow the rules, you know, it's a good fit is the most important thing. And that comes back with the confidence. And the air when right. you go in the arena exactly. that you're the winner. If, you, if you're confident in your outfit, whether it be your, a great fitting hunk coat, a great fitting all day shirt, it right. just adds to another layer of confidence that when really, you enter really that arena, you the are the only winner. thing you can control is how you look <laughs> when you go in. So as long as if, if you're looking good, you're going to feel good. So I think it helps the writer's confidence. Now, as far as from a judge's perspective, I think that they should stick to judging the horse. <laughs> Honestly. Well, and with that, I will tell you that I also judge a lot of horse shows and we never look necessarily at the outfit. Now we may think, oh, that hunk was a little brighter. I wouldn't have put that color hat with that, but it's not going to take away from the score so if those exhibitors are confident it reads well to us especially when we go to our individual cards and we get to that f and e that goes back to form and effectiveness so if you're confident you're going to be effective right i agree with that i don't think any judge would ever mark somebody down for an outfit or lack of an outfit or whatever but as a you know a subconscious human we can't ever get around just how you appear. But I also don't know that it comes down to as far as what your outfit looks like, as far as the money invested, if it just fits well and everything. But Brian, as you as a judge and you have to provide F&E scores, that's always a hot topic for us amateurs is like, what goes into your F&E score on a pattern class? Yeah. I mean, it's confidence. It's the way you execute a pattern. And if you have a bobble, it's the way that you handle that bobble right like in the showmanship of the horsemanship it's basically like a dance partner especially in the showmanship it's the way you lead your partner through each maneuver that's where i come up with my f and e if you're standing there at the cone whether it be the x the showmanship the horsemanship and you're ready and you look confident from the go then i'm already at the three level and then depending on how it executes further then i go to four or five so you may not even know this right off the top of your head but what would warrant a five for you perfection being ready at that cone and then as you go through that pattern you execute everything great and maybe even had a little bubble but you wait on it to ride out i don't know like perfection is a big word to fulfill but 
confidence and writing it flawlessly and even writing through the bobbles. You can still be the winner with a little bobble and even a penalty. I don't know if that really answered your question because five. I mean, I feel like it's something you just know it when you see it. Yes. You know, it's like, whoa, you get, you're blown away. Yeah, I think like every judge we've talked to has a little bit different spin on their F&E score. And there's no wrong, you know, there's no wrong answer to it. So it's one of those questions we like to ask. For me, I don't use a zero or one in my F&E. I just don't. We as an industry are trying to grow our worship. And if you go <laughs> and look at your your scores and you have a judge that gives you a zero or a plus half, you're like, why am I doing this, right? We need to encourage that. And that's why we have those three and a half to five for the ones that are supposed to be the winner and that really execute the best pattern that day. That's just my personal opinion. I don't use a zero or a one very often for my f and &E. I want to encourage participation and I want to encourage the writer to grow. And so that's where I can encourage that. If they, I can take it in the maneuver throughout the pattern to show them this is where they need work, but they're f and &E, I'm rewarding them for being there that day. Yeah. So in the next five years for both of you and your businesses and personally, what's on your docket for what you want to see happen? Well, you go first. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, as much as I love to show, I don't want to be doing this when I'm 65 or 70, right? So I have a few goals in mind to when I might say, okay, guys, I'm hanging up my spurs in this arena or that arena. But I also am very superstitious. So if I put that out there, I don't know that it'll come to fruition so quickly. But I do have a couple of goals in mind. I want a few more bronzes, a few more buckles, and then it might be time for Brian to hang up his spurs. Completely or slow down? Maybe just slow down. Maybe just slow down. I don't know. I love doing what I do so much. I don't know that I'll actually quit, but I also don't want to get to the point where I'm of the age where I know that I'm riding for fourth or fifth going into the show pen. I always want to be riding for that win. And for me, I feel like I kind of got a late start because I really focused on Brian's career in the early years. We haven't even peaked yet. So for me, it'll be expanding the business. I love that I'm able to give young artists a career path that they never a lot of people know nothing about horse showing, but I had a designer position open. We had 52 applicants that, I mean, they were blown away by the kind of things we get to do every day. Other than, you know, some of the big fashion houses, I mean, we're literally the closest thing to those big fashion houses, getting to work with all the sparkles and all the, you know, high-end materials. So for me, working and starting a lot of new designers' careers, I would like to just keep encouraging that and try to see how it, how to, you know, make it work with the horse show industry. I'm the only one who knows about horses. Everybody that else, works for us, right, right? Everybody else are artists. And so our focus on the design work is I most of the time I have to tame them down a little. You know, we <laughs> have two work. people, SCAD, 
Savannah, what is it? Savannah. Savannah School of Art and Design. Yeah, we have a lot of, I mean, being in the city, we have a lot of people that we could draw from. And also with the movie industry, because everybody that works for us are professionals. I only the best people, the best materials. I think we have a long way to go. Still. But then he also has a couple of people that have worked for us for years that have gone on to work. Oh, I've had designers leave me and go on to Hollywood with major designers. And I, you know, I'm super proud of that. I taught them how to do that. I didn't know what's going to happen. We were talking in the past now. We're not talking about the future, but that's, know, but, but that's the development of yeah, the, the new development of the, of the designers. I would love to be able to focus more on that and go even more commercial and like, not just horse show stuff. There's a lot for me ahead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was like, sky's the limit for you. Yeah, I really, mm-hmm. originally, originals was the idea of doing anything custom somebody wanted. Didn't necessarily have to be horse shows. Whether it was creating a china pattern personal for somebody or a pair of shoes, or I I just have that many interests. I don't want to be limited by what specific thing, but the horse show thing just stuck. And we're thankful for all the Oh, customers. yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Brian, do you foresee you getting more involved with the fashion designer side once you start slowing down on the showing inside or? Well, I don't know that I'll really, I, I definitely won't be doing the stoning or that, but <laughs> that's why Kevin and I have been so successful. I have done it before, but we're a great team. So we yeah. both fill the void when the other one needs it. Whatever the other one needs, we step in and fill that yeah. void and lend that helping hand. Brian's a great salesman. <laughs> <laughs> You know, all the suits, the men's suits, the women's showmanship suits that are the classic business suit, I do all those designs and all the day shirts, the just the cotton shirts for the men or the women. I design all that. So, yes, I mean, I see myself doing that. But also another passion of mine is my nonprofit. Just like yesterday, we just finalized our backpack in the park where we collected over 6,000 backpacks for children in need here in the Atlanta area. Then we have the toy party coming up in December. I've been involved with that organization for 11 years, and that will always be a part of my life uh, is doing something for others. Yeah, I know you have been deeply involved in that stuff for a long, long time now. Yeah, and that's a lot of work. <laughs> it, mm-hmm. it's, it's like having a whole nother full-time job, really. Right. Yes. Yeah. And it's a thankless job. Not that I want to say it's a thankless oh. job, but all these volunteer nonprofit type things are largely thankless jobs because people don't understand what goes into them. They don't. But I will give our horse industry a lot of kudos, like our Facebook fundraising and stuff. People will donate and they've been donating for years and support me in all of my endeavors. And I couldn't be more thankful for that. And I think right. a lot of that is comes from the relationships that Kevin and I both built over the right. years and continue to build. But the people are very, very generous. Absolutely. All righty, guys. You guys want to provide any contact info on how to get a hold of you if anybody wants to inquire about services, clothes, catch writing. Not sure what else you want to talk about, but anything you want to offer them, feel free to do so. If not, then we'll let you go for today. Well, 
You can find us on our Facebook page, Kevin Garcia Originals. We have the Facebook Messenger, which is the best way to reach us. We have full-time customer service there that could help you with any questions. We also have our website, www.kevingarciaoriginals.com. We have Instagram. We have picture. We have all, we have all of them. Just put my name in there. You'll 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 find us. I do want to say one thing about custom clothing in general. Not everyone is a candidate for custom clothing. There is a good candidate, and that is a person who actually knows what they want or have an idea of what they want, and they let us create that for them. Because a lot of people just think, oh, I mean, they want to micromanage every single thing. And, and that really doesn't work for that. You have to be a good, you have to have a, a relationship and be able to trust your designer to, to have a good outcome. And I some think of those a lot people, of people are, are better just to buy off the rack. Yeah, when they see people, it, they know it. Right. And that's why we do the off the rack or the, because they could see something and say, okay, this is what I want, or this is the style or, 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 or tell me something or better yet, just let me do what I want to do. <laughs> it <laughs> always, always works out the best. It does. They're always it, the happiest yes. you know, when they trust <laughs> your vision. Uh, to contact me, you can just reach me on Facebook or call me or text me at 404 964-8562. But I will tell you, book early. Book early. Busy man. And well in demand. <laughs> and then Kevin, where are your off-the-rack designs? What vendors? Oh, yeah. They're with uh, they're at Head to Tail Boutique with Kelly Mundred. And that's currently, she's our exclusive vendor. I will be at the Congress this year. We do have a Congress booth, which I haven't done for a while. It will be with Kelly. But I am going to make an appearance. And also, I'll be at the NSBA World Show with Kelly for a few days anyway. Very cool. Yeah, that's big for us. I haven't done it in the recent years because we just haven't had enough time to have enough off-the-rack inventory because it sells very well and very quickly. So it's it's a battle. But we're actually way in advance this year. And we should have a great selection. So please come out there. Check us out. Awesome. Well, thank you both for your time and your insight oh, today. Enjoy the thank you, thank you yes. guys. And thank your audience for tuning Absolutely. in. Yes. It's been a long yes. time coming and yes. happy we got it Finally. done. Finally. <laughs> yeah. Thank All you. Right. So have much. a great rest of your day. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, that'll be your class. Bring them in and line them up.